I didn't want to go to India. I heard it was really smelly. I heard it was loud. I heard it was crowded. I heard it was crazy. I heard it was culturally really different. I really didn't want to go to India. But I went last April to India. And guess what? It was smelly. It was loud. It was crazy. It was crowded. It was totally different. And I loved every minute of it. How weird. Now, while I was there, I was wondering... Are they having like a a garbage convention? There's garbage everywhere. It's incredible. And loud. I mean, I'm not used to being woken up at 4.30 in the morning by the Muslim call to prayer. I'm trying to sleep. And then all the honking starts about 6 in the morning. And then it goes all the way to late at night. All the people who've been partying are walking down the streets. And there was even political parties marching around. It was... Only quiet from about 2 a.m. till about 2.05 a.m. in India. Crowded as anything. You know, there's 1.2 billion people in India. It's a lot of people. And they're everywhere. I was in a town called Pune most of the time. They said, oh, it's just a small town. How many people live there? Eight million it's crowded. The streets, there's bicycles, there's motorcycles, there's mopeds, there's, there's animals. There's all kinds of things in the middle of the streets. I almost got killed by rickshaws so many times. I'm not used to all that. And it does smell because there's cows walking around. No one bothers them, and they're just all over the place. But I loved it. I loved it because I learned some profound found things when I was in India, which is weird. I've been to like 60 countries in the world. I've traveled for the last 20 years, and India really hit me. I wanted to share some of those things with you. You know, when I was there, it took me 47 hours on planes to get to Mumbai. That's a long trip. And when I got there, the first thing was the Hindustani Covenant Church had invited me to come and see some of the ministries that they're doing. I don't know if you've heard of the Hindustani Covenant Church, but 50 years ago, some Swedish, Swedes, missionaries went to India and started the Hindustani Covenant Church. And it has exploded. They have over 130 churches, over 45,000 members all over India. But they don't have much of a connection with the American Covenant Church, and they really wanted one. So they looked on the Covenant website in the United States and found Merge Ministries, of all things. And they contacted me, and they said, Dale, can you come to India and spend time with us? Maybe you can take teams over here, too, so we can have more of a partnership. And okay, I'll go. So when I arrived in Mumbai after a couple days of traveling, the first place they took to me was the dump in Mumbai. There's 4,000, 5,000 people working in the dump doing recycling. They're collecting cans. They're getting um, plastics. They're gathering all the metals out of the big garbage piles of a city of 15 million people. Almost all of them are Muslims. And there in the middle of this slum, there's a covenant ministry. I went up these stairs and there was 50 children. 50 children sitting in this squished room, and someone from the Covenant Church was teaching them math. Every day, she teaches them different subjects to help them with their schoolwork. The kids are Muslim kids, Hindu kids, Christian kids, doesn't matter. 
They're all invited to participate in that. In the afternoon, she likes to take the, uh, the women of the community. They're all invited to learn how to sew. She's good at sewing. She's got some sewing machines. It helps them with their clothing of the, their families, and maybe they can learn to sell some things. And she also started a microloan program, and there's a few people now that have businesses because of what she started. The next day, they took me to Pune, and in Pune, there's a house that the Covenant Church has built. It's a shelter for women coming out of sex slavery. Now, in India, if your parents don't have money and you live in a rural area, one way they can make money is sell their daughters to sex slaves, which they do all the time. And so the covenant meets with these women who are involved in the sex slave trade, and they try to convince them to come out of it, and a shelter has been built for them to live. Now, you can imagine after years of being a prostitute, a forced prostitute, you would need a lot of counseling. So they provide counseling for them. A lot of hardcore counseling and scripture and prayer. They teach them a different job um, skills. They teach, they give them employment. And then they've also found some ex-prostitutes who've been willing to go with the Covenant Church into the red light district of Pune, where 10,000 10, sex slaves work in this one neighborhood. And they go from brothel to brothel. I went with them, going from brothel to brothel. They would talk to the women and share Christ with them and love them and pray for them and ask them, do you want to leave? Do you want us to help you get out of this? And they would just spend time in relationships with these women. And then there was another area where what happens is the women, when they're working during the day, they have to get their kids out of their little rooms. And so the kids are sent out of their rooms under the street. So the Covenant Church thought, let's gather up those kids in the afternoons and bring them somewhere. And they rented a room, and they have like a VBS program every day for these kids while their moms work. The next day I went to a slum um, outside of Pune in the market area. 5,000 families living in a slum. And I met a lady that the Covenant Church has partnered with. And she started a microloan program on her own. And now she has 500 of those 5,000 families receiving loans and have started microloan businesses in that slum. All kinds, I've visited all kinds of amazing businesses people have started. And it was all because the Covenant Church felt like this was important to do. And you know, that's all I saw. I didn't get to see their agricultural programs. I didn't get to see their water programs. I didn't get to see their counseling programs. I didn't get to see their job training programs in other places. I didn't get to see a lot of things that this covenant church does in India. But as I talked with pastors and as I talked with um, youth group people and as I talked with adults in churches and as I talked to a youth pastor, I realized the way they talked was social ministry and doing ministry in the community was just kind of normal for them. It was just something that people who follow Jesus do. It's like it's part of their DNA. It seemed so duh to them. But it didn't seem duh to me. You know, in that church, evangelism does matter. And discipleship does matter. And fellowship matters. And worship matters. And so does social ministry in their community. That's just what they do as believers. You know, Jesus was like that. When we read Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4 was kind of an outline, a vision statement for what Jesus wanted to do during his time on earth. And if you noticed, 
Number one, that's something we as North American believers can really get into. Share the good news. We love sharing the good news, I, I hope. We're excited about that, that, that Jesus has come to give forgiveness of sins when we repent of our sins. And we love statement number five. We get into that. The time of the Lord's favor has come. Jesus himself is saying, it's time. It's time. I'm going to come die on the cross. I'm going to raise from the dead. And through that, you can have a restored relationship with God once again. Yes. And we as North American believers really get into those two things. But what about vision statements number two, three, and four? Free the captives, heal the blind, and care for the oppressed. Freeing the captives, the sex slaves of the world, the prisoners, the people in prison, people burdened by debt, people who are caught in alcoholism, people with sexual addictions, people involved in greed, drugs, people in poverty, their um, captives, elderly who are stuck in their homes. And what about the blind, those who are suffering from physical ailments or people who have special needs? They need physical healing and people who've gone through horrible times and they need emotional healing and they need counseling, healing the blind. And caring for the oppressed, those who suffer under racism, those who suffer from unfair governments, people in unhealthy family systems, people who lack education, people who lack job opportunities, freeing the oppressed, caring for them. That was just part of Jesus' DNA. That was part of his ministry. That was part of who he was. He spent three years doing this. He spent three years preaching, teaching, loving, healing, caring, showing mercy, forgiving, feeding, casting out demons. It's just who Jesus was. And when I came back from India, I thought, is that who we in North America are? And the reality is, I don't think generally in the United States we can say, oh, social ministry, community ministry, that's just something we just do. I don't think it is. I think it's something we struggle with. It's something that we have to be convinced to do. I think it's something that I'm not sure what to do. I don't even know what opportunities there are out there. I don't know what to do. I've been to so many churches that just really don't know what direction to go when it comes to social ministry. It doesn't seem to be part of our DNA. And that doesn't make any sense because it's Jesus' DNA. It's part of who Jesus is. But we struggle so much. My neighbor, David, he teaches a Sunday school class in a, a church in McAllen, Texas. And we were standing outside one day and he said, Dale... I've been teaching the class for about five or six years, and we've grown. We've grown from about 10 people attending. We now have like 40 coming on Sunday mornings. People have come to Christ. New people have come. People are bringing their friends. I'm excited about that. We've learned a lot about Scripture. We pray for each other. We spend times together. We have like barbecues and swim parties. And when we have barbecues and swim parties, we get like 60 or 70 people to show up to those. But he said, Dale, what breaks my heart, and one reason sometimes I feel like I want to quit, he says, it's because there's an area in my, nearby, near McAllen, there's a place called Sullivan City, 
There's a Spanish-speaking church there. It's in a neighborhood where there's a lot of drug cartel members. There's drug addiction, alcoholism, incredible poverty, people living in broken-down homes, elderly people living all alone, children not getting good education. And he said, I like going there and serving the Lord. And I go to my Sunday school class and I say, who would like to go with me to Sullivan City? And for some reason, everyone is too busy to go. No one, no one ever goes. Oh yeah, 70 people come to the barbecue. Oh yeah, 40 people come to Sunday school. No one will go with me to Sullivan City. And he said, Dale, what then is the point if we're not going to live out the whole entire gospel? We started a thing called Merge USA. We wanted to start partnering covenant churches in the United States with other covenant churches doing community ministry. We thought this would be great. It would explode. It would be so easy. It would be so fun. And as we looked around and searched in the United States for covenant churches that had really impactful, long-term social ministry, which were doing great things in our community, it was hard to find. It is really, it's been hard to find. Now, we did find a couple. There's a church in Detroit, a covenant church called City Covenant Church in Detroit, which is the most depressed city in our country. And this church of about 130 people, here are some of the things they do. They built a separate building as a tutoring center for kids. And all the kids in the community are invited to come for free tutoring after school. And if parents need a daycare for them, the kids come for free for daycare. They open up space on their grounds and build a community garden. And they allow people in their community to grow their own food. And as people grow their own food, people from the church come and help them with production and and everything. And they have 365 days a year. This church feeds people in the community. Every afternoon at 4 o'clock, any family can come for a free meal. And every single day, 365 days a year, seven days a week, they feed about 70 people every single day. And then they told me, we've got this crazy new idea. We've even got more land. And so we're thinking about opening some fish farming in the middle of Detroit. Fish farming. Teaching people how to raise fish and maybe use that as a new career in the middle of Detroit. There's a little church called in Mound Bayou, Mississippi. It's Covenant Church. And there in Mound Bayou, Mississippi, the community center is horrible. I mean, there's a swimming pool, but then you go in the locker room and the, the ceiling's falling in. The walls are all broken. Um, there's like rubble everywhere. And so when kids in that community go swimming, they come into the locker room to change and they have to avoid the rubble. In order to change the tennis courts that were built have like trees and bushes in the middle of them. There's bleachers for um, the, the school softball team. But if you sat on the bleachers, they would probably break. And if they didn't break all the way, you get a splinter like, oh, you know, it would be terrible to go to a game there. And the same church started a tutoring program in. This is probably the greatest name of any town in the United States. Alligator, Mississippi. Yeah. And they started a tutoring program in Alligator, Mississippi. And they go every day and they do tutoring for kids and they do job training in the community center in Alligator, Mississippi. How many people does this church have? Seventy. 
There's only 70 people in this church, and that's their vision to do social ministry in their community. So what can we do? What can we do as North Americans to have more of this DNA in us where social ministry is just something we do? It's just normal for us to do it. And I think one of the most important things for us to do is to start thinking about our kids. This is something we should be doing with our kids. This is something we should be teaching our kids to do. Because if they grow up doing it, then it becomes just something you do, right? Um, I went to a church in Vivian, Louisiana recently and um, trained their mission team. Vivian, Louisiana. I remember crossing the border from Texas into Louisiana, and as soon as you cross the border, the streets aren't as good. There's more garbage. Things are overgrown. You can just see the poverty right away when you get into Louisiana. I went into a little town looking for a place to eat. There was like um, fast food places and... And I found a place called Rascals. I went to eat lunch at Rascals because I saw a lot of people going in. And I thought I'll try it out. So I went into Rascals. And for that day, they had fried pork chops. And they had mashed potatoes with gravy. And they had um, green beans. And my favorite thing, sweet tay. I love sweet tay. And boy, that was a good lunch. And then afterwards, I went and had an angioplasty and then did the training. Someone in the second service thought I really had heart problems and was going to pray for me. I, just a joke. So. But I went and trained their mission team. This church has multiple multi, you know, intergenerational mission teams going everywhere, and I trained one of them going to Mexico. And then I didn't really have anything to do, so they were like, well, why don't you come? Our children are going to do a presentation of what they learned all year. I'm like, oh, I like kids' things. Let's go. So I went, sat. And I thought, oh, they're going to have songs, and they're going to share Bible verses, and there's going to be all kinds of pictures of games and crafts and woo, fun stuff. And they all have learned, and it wasn't anything that I expected. Instead, the kids, um, they prepared dramas about all of the social ministry that they had done for the last nine months. All of the gardening they had done for elderly people, all the painting they had done in communities, all of um, the caring they did for people in convalescent homes, all the people that they prayed for, all the places in Louisiana they had gone to care for people. It was all, I even showed a video of all kinds of mission trips and social programs that these elementary kids had done all year long. I thought, wow, that's different. And then my favorite part, because I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, the preschoolers came out in these bright yellow shirts that said, I'm a God server. And each one shared about how God wanted them to serve in their community. We're talking three and four-year-olds. My favorite was a four-year-old named, my name is Cooper, Cooper. And I love Jesus, and I like to serve him in my community, and I want to be a missionary. He's four. I was blown away. You know, another way we can really teach our young people to have that DNA of serving in the community is going on intergenerational mission trips. Yeah, intergenerational mission trips. Those are our favorite mission trips. Adult mission trips are good. High school mission trips are fine. But international mission, intergenerational, when you have grandparents and parents and youth 
and children all serving together, that's like heaven to me. It is so amazing when you have young kids and even youth watching their parents in action, serving Christ in a community in another country. There's nothing better than that. It's incredible. And then what's so great, you know, as parents, we're like helicopter parents in the United States, right? We watch everything they do. Don't touch that. Don't do this. Don't be with that person. Don't talk to them. Stay here. Here are all these buckles on you and all these things, you know. We protect our kids. But then I've noticed when parents take their young kids on a mission trip, it's like, do whatever you want, kid. I mean, it totally changes once you cross the border. It's so weird. Like, I've seen seven-year-olds on roofs pounding nails. Seven-year-olds. I've seen you know, elementary kids with big, long saws sawing wood. I see kids rolling in mud, getting super dirty, boogers coming out. It's okay. We're in missions. And then they let their kids talk to kids they don't know. And then the kids, hey, can I go to my friend's house? Sure, go ahead, kid. Don't even know them. Can't even speak the language. Doesn't matter. We're on a mission trip. It's so great. Parents let loose and let their kids serve God in such a special way when we do these intergenerational trips. It is so transformative. For those young people. And I think for youth too. There's a uh, Covenant Church in Plymouth, Minnesota. And they do this every year. They have family trips only. Mission trips. They go to a place called Mukel. It's a Mayan village in the Yucatan Peninsula. And over New Year's, every year, they try to get different families from their church to go to Mukel. We're talking one-year-olds, two-year-olds, four-year-olds. You know, a lot of people, they're like, I don't know. I don't think kids too young should go on a mission trip. And I'm like, okay, well, I have a five-year-old, and he's been to like 23 countries and four continents. I guess I'm a weird parent. He's still alive. And then I'm also like, and there's something else weird. There's two-year-olds and three-year-olds in that country already. Your kid, they won't even notice. Bring them along. I think intergenerational trips are amazing. You know, you've got a trip coming up to Nicaragua in July. I know it's coming up quick here, but wouldn't it be amazing if your whole family went? What would that do for your elementary age, your preschooler, your high schooler, your junior higher to go serve alongside with them in Nicaragua for a week? It would change their DNA. It would change how they saw social ministry. They would come back to Salina, different people. But you might too. You know, another thing is I think if we rub shoulders with captives, with blind people and oppressed people, that also kind of helps us know what social ministry can be. Relationships are everything. Getting to know those people, that's everything. You know, I, was, I went uh, at one of the Hindustani Covenant churches. I, was, I watched their, bap- their baptism class. They were learning about baptism. And the pastor was kind of mentioning, this is kind of an interesting group over here. There's an ex-Muslim family. There's a couple of ex-Hindu women, a couple of ex-prostitutes. Here's a guy. There's a guy there that used to commit adultery a lot, and he was outcast in his village. There's a guy, you know, is an alcoholic. And he was just naming Like, whoa, what kind of a baptism class is that? I said, how does this happen? And he said, well, we encourage our church members to spend people with time like that. Spend time with people like that. Get to know them, develop relationships with them, share Jesus with them, bring them to church. Let Jesus change their life. Let the Holy Spirit work through them. Wow, that's a weird concept. 
they got they go out of their way to do that. What if we did that? Who's here in Salina? Who's here in Salina that we can hang out with? Who's here in Salina that we can spend time with and get to know and develop relationships? Are there Muslim families here? Hindu families? Are there people struggling with their um, sexuality? Gangs? Homeless people? Illegal immigrants? Sex offenders? Couples living together but not married? Greedy people? Alcoholics? Drug addicts? Elderly who need someone to visit them? Are there people who are chronically sick? Are there any of those in Salina? What if we went and spent time with them? What if we went and we developed relationships with them? Would God change us and give us the heart and the ability and the passion to do social ministry? Because now we know people. Now we know people. It changes everything. And internationally you could do it. You could do it in other parts of the United States. I really think this is something for us to pray about. It's really something for us to pray about as North American believers and followers of Jesus. Because I think we just don't have it in our DNA yet. And I think Jesus wants us to. Because it's part of who he is. I don't think this is optional. I don't think social ministry is an option. I don't think as followers of Jesus we say, well, let's see, we do evangelism, discipleship, fellowship, and worship. That's good enough. Jesus also did social ministry too. And if Jesus did it, don't you think we should too? I think we should pray and let have God open our eyes to the possibilities. You know, we're going to have celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to have a few precious Moments of quiet and peace in this place. Jesus died on the cross for us. It was to forgive us of our sin and allow us to renew our relationship with God. But it also, he did it so that we could go out and set the captives free. That we could go out and heal the blind. That we could go out and care for the oppressed. That's what he wants. That's why the cross. That is why the cross. And so as you take the Lord's Supper, ask God, am I involved in my community for Christ in the way that he has called me to be? And if not, let's pray and ask God to give us that passion and the ability, the wisdom, the opportunities to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful to be be here today. We're thankful that you give us the opportunity to share the good news with others. We're thankful that you give us the opportunity to disciple and to be disciples. We thank you for the opportunity to be in fellowship and relationship with other believers. To come and to worship you. And we thank you that you give us the opportunity to go into our world and make a difference in social ministry. Whether it's here in Salina whether it's here in our country, whether it's in countries around the world, you have called us to do this. You want us to be able to say, oh yeah, it's just something we do. I pray that you would challenge us and give us that ability and passion to do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.